He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name's Kyle. I'll once again, be your host. Joined by the rest of these Munsons, want to give them a wide berth. Is what is called a born loser, a real Munson, <laughs> and talk about what's going on in their worlds. James. So last episode, I said there was a chance this was my uh, it was my suicide note. Obviously, that doesn't have to be the case anymore. The good guys won. <laughs> My ideal scenario is still in play, uh, so I'm really looking out for that, where uh, Trump refuses to leave and then Secret Service actually throws him out of the White House like Jazzy Jeff, uh, and that's my ideal outcome, and so that still has a possibility of happening. I hope they throw him over the wall like he threw paper towels at the people in Puerto Rico. Just a yeah, little, be great. little free throw, right? <laughs> Warren. Uh, I was doing some substitute teaching earlier this week, and uh, I've got I've got some bad news, guys, about our future. <laughs> it's not really the kids, uh, but apparently, plain white Fila shoes and uh, Champion brand sweats are making a comeback. Yes, I'm just way behind. I haven't had any of those since I was, I don't know, four. So yeah, I was gonna say that's like a '90s outfit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm way I'm way behind. Catch up, case. No, retro stuff's cool again. I was going to say it, but finally, I've been waiting for that stuff to come back. <laughs> I've, I've been holding on to it. I hope it still fits. You got those Monarch <laughs> Nikes? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Since the last time we recorded, I had some, uh, I had some Hollywood news to, uh, to share with everybody. Oh. My Halloween costume was Ted Lasso, oh. and I made it onto Jason Sudeikis' radar, and he liked my picture. Hey now! Oh, oh, very God. stoked about about my buddy Jason, who we'll talk about later. Not a big That's deal, badass. but yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool, man. It was pretty cool to see that. So, when are you guys getting dinner like next week? <laughs> Maybe next I don't Tuesday. Know. We'll see. We'll see when I'm free. <laughs> Good luck. Um, <laughs> on my end, Kelsey and I have been uh, crushing Chappelle's show on Netflix. Obviously, I'm a huge fan. She's seen like every not every now and then seen a skip, but. She's never seen it all the way through, so we're we're crushing that out right now. So life is life is kind of crazy otherwise, but life is good at that point. We are running a little light tonight. We do not have Rigby with us. Uh, he's taking taking an episode off, but uh, we do have some extra support joining us, and that's our our good friend Dane Michael from the CF3 podcast. He's here for his second guest month's appearance. Dane, welcome. Thank you. You and I T Y. U-N-I-T-Y, that's a unity. Do you remember that Queen Latifah song? Of course. How can I forget? <laughs> nope. That's why we have you here. For those who did listen to the Alicia Vikander episode, you'll know Dane's story. But if you hadn't, Dane produces and co-hosts the weekly cult film series CF3, Cult Fans, Films, and Finds, which asks cult filmmakers and stars to rate their own movies for their patented cult filmometer. He is our very first return guest ever ha- after having the honor of being our very first guest Munson. So it's coming full circle. Mm-hmm. And Dane, we're glad to have you, my friend. Yeah, buddy. Welcome back. Thank you. I just want to point out that I'm drinking a, a Spotted Cow, which is from New Glarus Brewing Company Ooh, yes. in Wisconsin. Yep. And it's 10 electoral votes. 
<laughs> Birthdays, November 19th. What do we got, Warren? Yeah, November 19th. Uh, we're going to go with Jodie Foster. Ooh. Silence of the Lambs, Taxi Driver, Panic Room, and Nims Island. Nims Island. What the hell is that last movie? <laughs> Nim, Nims <laughs> Island from 2008. I'm going to go 65. 61. I'm going to say she's 61. That's two 61s. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know. Well, yeah, I, know she was a, I know she was I a guess. teenager in uh, Taxi Driver, seven, 1976. All right, I'm going 63. She's 58. She's just she's been, around for, hell. she's been around forever. Yeah, she's been around since she was like twelve. Taxi Driver wasn't even like her first her first role. She was still in like three or four movies before that. I should have done that math. Um. So next up, we've got Adam Driver. Uh, all that Star Wars stuff, Marriage Story, Black Klansman, Logan Lucky, and Jay Edgar. Thirty-one, thirty-five. Give me thirty-eight. I'll go thirty even for the low number. Thirty-seven. Oh, damn it! Damn, Kyle. I yeah. overshot. I was thirty-eight. Yeah. Some I got thirty-five. Yeah, I had thirty-five. That counts. Damn with the win. All right. And last but not least, we got Meg Ryan. When Harry met Sally, you've got male, proof of life, and Top Gun. 54. 61. 53. 60. 59. Ah, damn. No way. Give me one. That's crazy. That is, yeah. that, those are good actors, man. That's a good, yeah. those are fun ones to look at. And that's, uh, that's all the birthdays. Nobody else had a birthday that day ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Warren. <laughs> We had five actors we threw onto the wheel. Those five were Greg Kinnear, Bette Midler, Catherine Hahn, Daniel Kaluuya, and Allison Brie. As you know by now, we are going to cover Allison Brie. Let's rock and roll, baby. Let's do it. As we always do, we start with a little actor trivia. James, see if you can stump us. Yeah, Dane. So uh, you were the first guest to partake in this uh, Two Truths and a Lie Almost a year or so later, we're still doing um, the lie being a fact about Fast and the Furious actors. So we're still here. So I will say three facts, and you guys have to guess which one is not about Allison Brie, but is in fact about an actor from the Fast and Furious franchise. So the first fact is that she does all of her own stunts. The second fact is that she sings in a cover band with other actors that cover songs by the White Stripes, Robin, Weezer, and other famous artists. And the third fact is she was trained in professional wrestling techniques by former WWE tag team champion Chavo Guerrero. Mm. Hmm. The third one could could be a little sneaky because we know she's on Glow and she's been trained, but maybe it's someone else that trained her. Interesting. I think I actually know this one. It's Charlize Saran, the villain of The Fate and the Furious. She is the rock star in the cover band. I know it. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> I would I'd pay to watch her sing. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going number one. I don't know who it is, but one sounds fishy to me. What's the first fact again? That she does all of her own stunts. I'm gonna say that's a lie. I'm gonna have to say number two. Number two is the band one, right? Yep. Yeah, and yep. that's actually that's actually Lee Folsom and she is the GPS voice in the uh the movies. <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh no one guessed my man three. does his research <laughs> no one guessed number three and it is in fact true she was uh professionally trained in wrestling techniques by the former wwe tag team champion chavo guerrero he was a member of los guerreros with his uncle eddie um mm. that is true 
Uh, fact number two is in fact true. She Damn. is the uh, lead singer in a cover band called The Girls, which consists of uh, actress Juliana Gill and Serena Fowlow. Uh, I don't know who they are, but they all met seven years ago working on the web series called My Alibi. The way the, story, the band kind of came together is funny. Her community co-star, Danny uh, Putty, who hysterically plays Abed on the show, mm-hmm. was a good friend of the band Jones Street Station. And he took Bree to a show and the band, they were drunk and the band asked them to come up and sing while they were wasted. And she was a pretty good singer. And after that, the band brought her and her friends on to be the singers for the band. Um, and so they've been the lead singers for that band ever since. And fact one was actually a trick question because she actually does do all of her own stunts, um, which I thought was cool. Uh, but so does Jason Statham and Vin Diesel. So you were technically right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a dirty ball right there. Dirty ball, James. Paul Walker doesn't do all of his oh, own stuff. Oh, stop. <laughs> too, <laughs> too soon. Too soon? <laughs> it wasn't too soon in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Case, tell us a little bit about Bree's snapshot and box office history. We've had a couple of low-budget performers the last couple episodes, and, and she fits right into that. You know, she she lacks any sort of a major blockbuster budget film on her resume. The biggest budget I could find on, on her IMDb data was $99 million for LEGO 2. One area, however, that she ranks highly compared to others we've looked at in this particular podcast is her IMDb star meter. Out of the people we looked at, she ranks number two. Damn. Can you guys think of who the other two are that rounded our top three? Damn. Most popular star meter? Yeah. These are based on uh, people clicking on them, so it's always hot chicks, you know. Uh, that's so why Alicia Vikander. Yeah, yeah that's she's why number I one. Her. That's why I guess. <laughs> so she's number one. Allison Brie's number two, and who's number three? Another hot chick. Rebecca Hall. Close. Who's the Chastain? Chastain. Nope. Um, John Lithgow. <laughs> I was I was gonna say Chris <laughs> O'Dowd. <laughs> Don't. Well, you would have been half right, Warren, because it is Chris Pratt. Oddly uh, enough, hottie. Dane was uh, he was on us with the episode with Dick Kander. So apparently Dane really has his pulse on Hollywood popularity. Cool. Thanks, Case. Yeah, buddy. All right. Before we get into her projects, the cool thing about Allison Brie, comparatively to Gary Cole, Danny Trejo, and Brian Cranston, is she's got a digestible amount of work in her career. So we can hit most of the stuff versus Trejo when we hit like 50 of his 400. Um, so you're going to get a good snapshot of all the work that Alison Brie has done in her career on TV, television, and theater. I'm going to try to pronounce her last name. Her actual last name is Schmermerhorn. Schermerhorn? Allison Schermerhorn. Bless you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a ride at Disney. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can probably understand why she uh, goes by Allison Brie as her uh, her actor name and how she's known in the industry because Allison Shermerhorn, while memorable, is really hard to pronounce. So um, good for her on the uh, the PR move earlier in her career like that. Um, Ironically, it's not even her favorite cheese. <laughs> it's just Brie. Her her favorite cheese oh, is Gouda. Go. Oh, that's good. Gouda is delicious. I don't like Brie, man. I don't understand the hype. I'm not not a fan. You don't eat Brie plain. You got to have it with like a a nice spice jelly uh, to go with your crackers. That makes it a lot better. I can see that. Or some hot honey. Yeah. Talk a little bit about her early career leading up to doing TV and and film work. Um, She began her acting career on stage at the Jewish Community Center in Southern California, where she is from, born and raised. 
still lives in that area. Was born, I think she was born in South Pasadena. Her first role, she played Toto in The Wizard of Oz. She graduated from the Cal Institute of Arts with a bachelor's in theater in 05. Between, I, I think it was a, it was probably during her college days. Um, she worked as an extra for Central Casting. Um, she talked about some of her interviews. Um, a lot of it was just, you know, being a professional extra in the background as, uh, you know, a girl sitting at a table behind a scene. But she talked about playing a dead body on a crime show and how they would yell at her because they could see her breathing and she wasn't holding her breath enough. So that was kind of like her early intro into the industry, into the Hollywood side, um, just being kind of a professional background person. At a certain point, she she actually moved to Scotland and she studied at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama in Glasgow. And at a certain point as well, uh, she worked as a clown for birthday parties. She is an excellent <laughs> balloon artist. Um, so a little hidden talent she talks about quite That a was going to be a uh, trivia fact, but when I saw it here, I was like, nah, let's, we'll just leave it. She performed in the Blank Theatre Company's Young Playwrights Festival and in shows at the Odyssey, Right Act, and Rubicon Theatres. And once upon a time, she also received an India Award for her role as Ophelia in Hamlet. So she's done a, quite a bit of theater work and is a very eclectic human, to say the least, when it comes to our offstage antics. So all that gets us to her first official role that she ever had in television, was she was on one episode of Hannah Montana. She played an eccentric hairdresser. It is on YouTube. You can watch it. It's about a minute long, but she is putting on this, like, ditzy like young ditzy girl situation and it's um it's a far cry from where she is today as an actor let's put it that way um you could tell it was her first role for sure but coming out of that she started on mad men in 2007 and that show went to 2015 she played a character named trudy campbell ah yes the long-suffering trudy campbell i think her character is like the first character you instantaneously feel bad for she plays like kind of in her sweet spot so you understand why she gets casted there but she's like a goody two-shoes housewife uh super innocent and gets ruthlessly cheated on by her husband throughout the entirety of the show <laughs> god pete um, was such a jerk <laughs> yeah pete's such a dickhead and she event you know spoiler alert for a show that ended a few years ago her character eventually has an arc where she leaves him and moves on and they after they have a kid together but She's like the first character where you just truly feel bad. You're like, oh, this is just someone being taken advantage of. Yeah, I've never seen the show. I wish Rigby was here to talk about it more because he loves Mad Men. This is true. It's one of the greatest shows yeah. of all time. Good for Allison early in her career. I mean, two years into her acting career, getting picked up with a character on Mad Men. Huge, huge early on for her because that, that show is pretty legendary and ran for over eight years. So good. I think she's perfectly cast for it. Like, you'll see this trend throughout the rest of her career, but. That is kind of, she plays like that, you know, straight edge, kind of bookwormy, you know, suburban woman, and they nailed it with that role. Yep. That's exactly, that's exactly what community is. We'll get, we'll get to that. Yep. Yes, we will. A couple here. 2008, she was in a movie called Parasomnia, which is not a really good movie. She's, she plays a celloist <laughs> and there are just a couple scenes. Case is probably laughing because he, I assume he watched it. Not very good movies. And there's been a lot of not very good scenes. Can agree. I watched this movie and I kept like, I knew, I knew she wasn't top build. Right. So I just had it on in the background and I check it every now and the same sheet when she came on, she has the most unnecessary scene of any movie that we've ever looked at her. And this other blonde gal, are, she's playing a cello and the other girl's playing a violin. It's some weird, like dilapidated church. 
Yeah. This killer who's the who's the villain in Parasomnia comes in and basically hypnotizes them. And then he brings them to this other location and he puts glasses on them. He makes them play while he's like doing his his final scene. It made no sense and it didn't need to be in the movie. And it, it, it was almost like somebody was friends with those guys and they're like, hey, I'll get you in this movie. And they just randomly came up with something. It was very weird. We're talking about it. So it, it definitely did something. <laughs> you can bet your ass. As soon as I saw that, I Googled, can Alison Brie play the cello? And I don't think she can. So I thought it'd be like a cool moment to be like, oh, she plays the cello. She brought you out her do skills. anything if you put your heart into it, Kyle. I guess. <laughs> oh, man. So, or if you're hypnotized by a murderer. There, there you go. Too. There that's you go. A- that's, that's really the catalyst for it. Speaking of low budget, 2008, uh, Warren and I figured out a mystery behind this movie called Detention, a.k.a. The Deadliest Lesson. I was originally baffled by this one because couldn't find it on IMDb under the name Detention. It wasn't on her IMDb profile as Detention, and it wasn't on her Rotten Tomatoes profile. So I'm wondering, like, is this movie that bad that she doesn't want to be associated with it? (laughs) Turns out, Warren finds it. It's called The Deadliest Lesson, uh, which is on her IMDb, but it is not connected to her Rotten Tomatoes page. I'm I'm convinced, conspiracy theory-wise, she really doesn't want to be associated with this movie. She plays an unconvincing, troubled student, and she's not good at it. Because she's supposed to be like the, uh, uh, I, I don't care about uh, authority, and I'm just going to talk back to the teacher, and that's not really her thing at this point in her career. She's just not great at it. 2009 comes, and she, uh, she starts the show Community as a character, Annie Edison which runs for six years. Yeah, that show was on in the middle of like the heyday of sitcoms. So it was on at the same time as 30 Rock, The Office, Parks and Rec, and Community were like running the running the train. And this show, I didn't actually watch it for the first time until maybe 2011 or 2012. So it was still on. You know, I, I waited a little bit to watch kind of the newer stuff and the show is hilarious. Uh, Dan Harmon yeah. uh, created it, wrote a bunch of stuff, and you know him for that and Rick and Morty are like two two of the funniest shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, the show's really really fucking smart. And her role is Annie Edison. Uh, she's in community college deliberately because she had to drop out of high school because. She was such a bookworm and she got addicted to Adderall. She OD'd like on pills. Yeah. (laughs) She, she was a total nerd and everything. And she was, went to the same high school as Donald Glover, who was like this jock in high school, but he was such a fucking moron that he had to go to this community college, which is run by Jim Rash, who is one of the funniest characters is the (laughs) Dean. The show is funny as hell. I recommend anybody to watch it because it still holds up like today how funny it is yeah you know what's funny about this is uh so one of its contemporaries was the big bang theory and so you have this show that's about geeks Mm -hmm. the big bang theory but the actual geeks were watching community because it was so smartly written and talking about the things they loved parodying like movies and and things like that that they were into yeah annie edison her character was great um she played a wonderful basket case i would say Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, she was so neurotic. And her crush on Childish Gambino was just, yeah. Played for played for all the laughs it could. The Halloween be. episode cracked me up. I'd never heard, I've heard of the show, but I never watched it before until uh, this podcast. And me and Kate ended up knocking out the whole like first season because it's just such an easy watch and it's funny and stupid and silly. But it's also like very original in that they don't go down like, 
cliches of, you know, sitcoms where they might've went for a love story for a little bit. And then they just kind of like bailed on her. Like, nah, these are just funny characters. Let's just make them funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, what's incredible with her in this show is she covers like all the emotion and she wears it on her sleeve all the time. So she can go from being this like cutesy flirt to yelling at somebody and then immediately turning and pausing. And she has the ability to cry on sight. <laughs> yeah. She can just start shaking and she will cry and her voice will quiver and it's hilarious, but you're just like, Oh my God, she's so adorable. But like what's, and but she plays the whole thing with like, yes, she has you know, a history of mental instability because of her, her pill addiction and everything. But she, I mean, it still just like goes on for, I, I think the show was on for what, six years, something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a great show. I recommend, I'll probably go back and watch it again in the next year. The thing I would note here is she became famous in a lot of her interviews because she would go freestyle rap and she honed that talent while she was on community being around people like Donald Glover. And the guy you guys were just talking about is apparently a pretty good beatboxer too. Mm-hmm. So that's how they spent a lot of their time. Not on set is a, uh, dabbling with some other talents i believe it they do it during the uh, end credits i've seen a couple of interviews with her and she talked about how she was going back and forth between that set and the Mad Men set she had to really be dialed in and it really helped her grow as an actress because she had to use different such different muscles to fit in on both sets oh yeah that- it's pretty interesting to see that career go I even wrote that fact down and i didn't say it while she was doing both of these shows there was times where she had to film both shows on the same day mm-hmm yeah, that's two very different types of tones with your show. Yeah. And that's not like you can just roll one to the next. It's probably a complete mental reset. Yeah, Trudy didn't have any comedic lines. I can assure that. While they both were kind of like quirky, good girls, there was no funny scenes with Trudy and Mad Men. I imagine the improv, there was probably a lot more improvisation on Community versus Mad Men's probably pretty much stick to the script. Mm-hmm. All right. 2009, she's on a, a show called Hot Sluts. She plays a character named Amber. I thought it was funny when uh, Dane first picked Alison Brie, he like sent me a text later that day being like, I apparently need to check out this show called Hot Sluts. <laughs> I, and I, like, did. I didn't, to save you the suspense. No, I didn't. <laughs> and then in uh, 2010, she was in a movie called Raspberry Magic. She plays a teacher. There's not much to note here. And then the film's really about an Indian American family. And she's basically like the only prominent white person other than the little kid who sucks so you know just a little bit of a different project at that point in her career 2011 she's she makes an appearance on the show robot chicken and then also in 2011 she made her uh, her horror debut in uh i guess parasomnia is kind of horror um but mainstream horror with scream 4 she played uh, rebecca walters in the movie sydney prescott writes a writes a book and she's coming home to promote it Alison Brie is her publicist, and she's trying to get the the, the book pushed. And it's and she it's actually not a bad role. No, no, I liked it to start getting forward because she is able to kind of show this like kiss ass. Yeah, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Thank you very much for help, letting me help you. And then the second you know no one's around, she's like, "Oh, can you believe how fucking great this is? That somebody was <laughs> murdered. Oh, this is great. Thank you, God." You know, sociopathic in ways. It was a good role. She dies getting thrown off a parking structure. It's a pretty glorious death. Also, 2011, big time for her personal life. She met Dave Franco at Mardi Gras in New Orleans in 2011. And they got married, I think, four years later and are still together and seem pretty happy. Power couple. 
Do you think she flashed him? Who knows? She seems pretty open with things. That's a good question because she went to a college that was very nude friendly. She talked about in her interviews that she would, among many other students, would run around and do naked laps around campus or would mess with her roommates by going outside nude and like hanging from the tree like a monkey just to mess with her roommates. That's a lot of stuff, but yeah. her first real feature film role was in Save the Date in 2012 in case has it. Before we had the movie assignments for this, I was going through her IMDb and I saw that she did a movie with Lizzie Kaplan and I was really hoping that I'd get to watch that one because I'm a big Lizzie Kaplan fan. I think she's really fun to watch. Yeah, she's awesome. So Save the Date is a 2012 rom-com starring Lizzie Kaplan and Alison Brie. The movie follows the lives of two sisters, Sarah, played by Kaplan, and Beth, played by Brie, and their vastly different relationships. So the entire movie mushrooms out of this event where Bree's character and Kaplan's character, they're involved with these guys that are in a band. And they get up and they have this big show at this bar and, and they're just flying around and they're just so pumped up. And the lead singer, who is Kaplan's boyfriend, he's I think he's a combination of being drunk and just being just completely exhilarated with what's going on. He publicly proposes to her. She does not want to get married. And Allison Brie was telling her fiance, who's also in the band, like, do not let him propose. Do not let him propose. But like I said, he was so fired up about it. He just went ahead and did it. She emphatically says no, publicly humiliates him and, and runs out of the bar. The rest of the movie is really kind of it's about the lives of those two couples. In Allison Brie's case, it's about her and her fiance getting closer to their wedding and started to kind of deal with some of the realities that they're about to be together for the rest of their lives and have a family. And then for Kaplan, it's about her trying to figure out how to open up enough to be in a committed relationship. And for Kevin, who she humiliated, he is basically spiraling out of control with a broken heart for the rest of the movie. Alison Brie is pretty good in this movie. As we mentioned earlier, one of her first feature films, and she certainly doesn't have the range that she has later in her career. But if I'm being honest, Lizzie Kaplan doesn't have the range in this movie yet either. Both of them, you could tell that it's kind of their first leading role they do a good job with it and, and and i did enjoy both of their performances so one of the things that i loved in this movie i love the cast so i talked about lizzie kaplan i love her nearly everything she does one of my some of my favorite roles that she's in are party down which i know i've talked about on this show love it great yeah it's a great show if you haven't seen it go watch it and then castle rock good things martin Starr, he plays Bree's fiance allison Bree's fiance and he too is in party down as roman and he was also great in Silicon Valley yeah, he's as Bertram. An awesome character in Silicon Valley. Go for The guy that took me out of it for just a few moments at the beginning of the movie is Jeffrey Arend, who starred in Super Troopers. You may remember his line, the schnozberries taste like schnozberry. Oh. He was also married to Christina Hendricks for 10 years, which is absurd. Oh, wow. What? Wait, what? Yes, he was. How do you spell this guy's name? <laughs> How do you spell his name? It's Je it's Jeffrey with a G, which is an issue, and then Arend, A-R-E-N-D. <laughs> oh, my God. Jeffrey Arend was married to Christina Hendricks for That's 10 years. Dude, I can't get over it. 10 years, man. <laughs> no way. Uh, overall, I think it's a pretty good movie. For a 90-minute movie, there isn't a whole lot going on, though. So they, they fill the movie with, with quite a bit of dialogue. And it's okay dialogue. It, any of the scenes with uh, Allison Brie and Lizzie Kaplan, they're, they're pretty good. But once you get outside of the two of them, th those scenes kind of drag on a little bit. Um, while I like the casting and the writing, it's either trying to set out to be a quirky rom-com or it's trying to set out to like 
sets you up to think it's being quirky and then hits you like a like a, a normal uh, rom-com does. And it really just doesn't do either. It, nonetheless, it's still a pretty good start to her career in terms of feature films. Before we hit our Munson's Choice, we've got three years of work from her. She did what many Munson's actors have done and that she was on an episode of American Dad in 2012. Also 2012, she was in the five-year engagement as Susie. Um, she put on a little bit of a British accent. You guys think it was convincing, her British accent? I don't really care. I thought her and Pratt were the funniest part in that movie. Um, and how their relationship just, like, in their minds, <laughs> it got worse and worse and worse. But they got more and more normalized compared to Siegel and her were. But they, I thought they were hilarious. And yeah, her accent isn't great, but it's still... Her given that, that speech at the beginning, mm-hmm. at their little shower hilarious and she started crying instantaneously too (laughs) in regards to her accent judd apatow thought it was so good that he actually thought she was british (laughs) well cool that is a tidbit i actually found yeah i didn't think it was bad i just tossed it out there because i think this is the only time i've seen her try an accent like that in any of her roles she just sounds goofy because i know she's not british (laughs) russian accent but we'll get to that i'm a typical american (laughs) you sound goofy I guess she puts on an Elmo accent later too. So we'll get yeah, to that, that one's that was funny. <laughs> she has like a pseudo Long Island accent, Mad Men. I guess that's true. 2013, she's in the Kings of Summer, plays a character named Heather, and then she's done a bunch of shorts in her career. She's done 17 different shorts, but one of them is one that Warren told us about. It's called Dream Girl with her and Dave Franco, and it's so funny, so funny, man. It was a uh, funny or die. It's like three minutes long, and it's it's hilarious. It's it's raunchy, but it's hilarious, and I, I've seen it a bunch of times. Like it, it'll pop up randomly on like a funny or die tweet, and they'll be like, "Just a reminder: ten years ago, we did this." <laughs> Olivia Munn, Blumkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anything they can talk about a Blumkin is just hilarious. Yeah. It's like the funniest term ever. Make sure you Google it at work. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you're using a work computer if possible. Preferably yeah. on a screen that is being projected to your coworkers to really uh, let them know what you're doing with your free time. Um, but if you love her stuff, you love her TV show and t- and movie work, go check out some of her shorts just because she's got some really funny stuff out there. Yeah. 2014, big big role for her in her career. She was in Lego Movie as Unikitty, and from what I can understand from her interviews, is apparently a lot of people don't know it's her doing the voice until later much later they like the character and then they're like oh shit that's you she's all i can hear when, whenever i watch that is just like i i like her her range of being like this really really sweet like annie edison voice to like a screaming maniac mm-hmm. you know she'll she'll t- do that in one sentence and it's hilarious yeah the lego movie had a series of among kids i would say iconic characters like unikitty actually wound up getting a spin-off uh, cartoon series. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure she didn't have anything to do with that, but nah, I don't think so. It was her. It was her stamp on the character that helped, I think, make that popular enough to be viable. Who doesn't love the Lego movie? That was amazing. I love Legos. Yeah, it was really well done. Yeah, it was so good. Also, 2014, uh, she was in Search Party as Elizabeth Warren. I know you and I watched that movie, and maybe not a great movie, but it's pretty funny. Munzakas is hilarious in that. It's, it's a good cast and it's a short movie and her role is minimal. She's still just like the straight laced person that kind of normalizes, uh, everything mm-hmm. where all this absurd stuff's happening. And she's like, you have to be at this job interview. You have to be at this job interview in like five hours and you're down in Mexico. What the fuck are you doing down there? <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of brings everybody back down to earth, but 
Middle Ditch is hilarious in it. TJ Miller's good in it. Adam Pally's good in it. You see a bunch of Middle Ditch dong. You know, if they, you're into that sort of thing, it's uh, right up your alley. I am. How is it? <laughs> it's egregious. It's, it's a lot it's, of dong. It's covered in cocaine. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah. Her character is was so chill after she got her car stolen by them and then blown up and still was like, hey, it's cool, guys. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And then finally, another big project for her 2014 to 2020. Uh, she played Diane in BoJack Horseman, which has been a huge part of her career. I wish they gave her a less normal role. Like she, She's one of the only people in the show, which granted is uh, uh, the, most, the most normal thing. I, I would have rather her played like a cat or an animal. You know, yeah. Something else yeah. where they could like incorporate that in. But again, she is the abnormal one in the, in the show, but she's, she's just so like even keeled and she's dating a dog. That's true. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what makes her relationship with Mr. Peanut butter so much funnier is that she's like this really down to earth person who's like even keeled and she's dating a Labrador retriever who's like hyperactive and super polite and stupid. Yeah, he's, he is hilarious. And he is so good. I watched a couple episodes. I read about her character. She's a, what, a third wave feminist. <laughs> she plays a Vietnamese American character, which apparently were, there was some controversy around, you know, booking a white girl to play a Vietnamese American character. But did she bail on that role? eventually because of that i'm trying to remember or did i make that up in my head i think you might have made that one up that was happening with cartoons right weren't people 2020 bailing? yeah this is the year that everybody started bailing on the, the right. characters yeah. if they were white playing somebody who wasn't white so they knew the show was ending so she probably just oh okay stuck it out yep. so she took one for the team so I was, I was projecting the canceling got it yeah <laughs> okay uh 2015 is going to bring us our Munson's choice so if you're uh, first time listener, the way this works, uh, we cover the, the normal five categories, but our guest gets to pick a role to cover. And in this case, Dane chose sleeping with other people. I have chosen that quite a bit. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 2015 was uh, a busy year, as we will soon find out for, for Alice and Brie. Mm-hmm. But uh, sleeping with other people is a, you guessed it, rom-com. Woo-woo. Directed by Leslie Headland. Classic Leslie. Co-stars Jason Sudeikis. Great. Yeah. The reason I really wanted to watch this movie, it went by my radar many years ago. And I didn't find out about it till looking at her resume for this episode. And I've been obsessed with Ted Lasso, the TV show. It's my favorite show of 2020. There you go, Craig. And so I said, I need more Jason Sudeikis. And that's what brought me here. This is a, I'd say, raunchy rom-com um it's kind of a in the imitator category of judd apatow type of stuff though it doesn't quite i guess devolve (laughs) to that level um which means it's not quite as funny either as those others but it is very entertaining um the supporting cast is tremendous adam scott Mm -hmm. we've got billy eichner in a scene who kind of steals his scene jason mantzoukas um who won me over in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's hilarious as the best friend of Sudeikis. I love him, dude. I think he's so funny. He's so good. Raffy? He's a podcaster, by the way. How did this get made? We we got to yep. mention podcast. His podcast is so good. Amanda Peet's in this and Natasha Leone. Yeah, Munson's. Excellent, excellent um, cast here. It's a rom-com. So, and it's, I saw that there was an IFC Productions, uh, you know, title card before it started. So I was like, 
maybe this will go off the beaten path from other, you know, R-rated rom-coms. It doesn't. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's formulaic, but with a rom-com, when you when you know like the the interchangeable parts, that cast and things like that are good, then it's all about the ride to get to the inevitable conclusion. Because the the plot, just the slug line, so to speak, is a good-natured womanizer and a serial cheater form a platonic relationship that helps reform them in ways while a mutual attraction sets in. So it's a rom-com. How long is it going to stay platonic? You know, that's not the mystery here. It's, and it's the ride Mm -hmm. that it takes you on getting there. And I think it's uh, worth taking despite the fact that it's probably about 10 minutes too long. Uh, It's an hour and 41 minutes, but uh, I'm more comfortable at about 90 to a hundred minutes for my comedies. Mm -hmm. Fully agree. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge rom-com person, but this is one of my favorite rom-coms out there. I love sleeping with other people. 2015, it, it made my, it was like number nine in my top 10 of 2015. I, wow. I, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed sleeping with other people. Sudeikis is great. Allison Brie was phenomenal. And that was really the first time I got to see her in a big, like primary role in any show or movie. She's excellent in it too. And she does have to play a little bit more than just for the laughs. There's scenes where serious things happen and, and you can kind of kind of like foreshadow some of the roles she'd later take on. Did I mention Jason Zudeikis like my Halloween costume? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you're getting dinner with him next week. We got it. We understand you. You're important. Are you going to be in season two of Ted Lasso? I contractually can't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Our largest audience gap is... Uh, well, Rigby was supposed to cover it, but Rigby's not with us tonight. Um, and it's Get Hard another 2015 movie case is going to jump in and give a little bit of a, a quick review on this one. Um, this will Ferrell classic or is maybe not, I guess we'll see. If I had reviewed this when it had come out in 2015, I probably would have suffered from a little bit of too much will Ferrell too soon, too often. But as I can spread these things out and, and rewatch it, uh, I, I found this movie significantly more enjoyable to watch than I did the first time I watched it back in 2015. I agree. Allison Brie is in probably what the first, maybe third of the movie, Warren. Yeah, she's in. She's in it really before like his penitentiary <laughs> opens up. And yeah, then when he goes back to like he breaks out and goes back to the country club, that's like the last time he really sees yeah. She's in it. She was talking about working with Will Ferrell, and and she's like. You know, so much of the characters that he did when I was on Saturday Night Live when I was growing up, that's part of the the sense of humor I have. And so it was so much fun to play with him because it was like I was almost able to mirror him. And, and at one point, you know, he pulled her aside. He said, hey, just just go with it when you're when you're in the moment, just go with it and, and I'll play off it. And you play off me and, and we'll have a good time. And so pretty good in this movie in a pretty limited role. I mean, Will Ferrell is one of the best buddy movie guys and and it's it's pretty much like a lot of his other ones it's just kevin hart is is the uh, counterpart i think you're absolutely right this was a bit of a like an uncomfortable role for her but her role is to basically just be an absolute smoke show for like 20 minutes of the movie and she succeeds at it and she doesn't look uncomfortable in that role. And so she, she definitely does a great job of it. Well, we're going back to back to back with reviews, which I don't think we've ever done before. Um, there's usually always something in between. But uh, the other one in 2015 that Dane mentioned um, saying this was a busy year is her lowest critic score in No Stranger Than Love. And James has this one. So this movie got a horrific score. 
uh, it got a seven on Rotten Tomatoes, which is oh wow, some worst yeah. movies on Rotten Tomatoes. Danny Trejo had higher rated movies than that. Yeah, dude, seven's <laughs> horrific. Like not many, but <laughs> not yeah, many. Yeah. There were a lot of zeros. <laughs> when I saw the score, I was kind of excited because that means it could be like such a dumpster fire that it's an enjoyable movie. Quick synopsis is she, uh, Alison Brie plays a art teacher um, in a small town and she is obnoxiously hit on and adored by every male in the small town to the point where like in the first 15 minutes you immediately get that like everyone is throwing themselves at her asking her dates you know please run away with me you know how come you and I aren't together stuff like that Um, and she's portrayed as like this perfect woman and instead of going out with all those men throwing themselves at her that are single, she decides to attempt to have an affair with a coworker who's married, uh, a high school football coach played by Colin Hanks. And the second before they're about to hook up, again, this is fifth, like 10 minutes into the movie, um, he is sucked into a bottomless hole that just opens up in her living room and, she, and he floats in this zero-gravity hole. And the remainder of the movie is her trying to figure a way to get him out of the hole while trying to hide the fact that like they were about to have an affair and the entire town is looking for him and assuming he's dead. So it like transforms from like a Pleasantville style, whimsical, offbeat rom-com into like a magical realism rom-com. And I'm going to be honest, like it's definitely not a seven. Uh, I wanted to shit on it, uh, but the movie's really desperately trying to make a legitimate point. Um, it just struggles to do it. it. It is a movie that is, you know, trying to talk about, you know, societal pressures and how it can hinder your you know, self-identity and how you shouldn't tailor yourself to being someone else uh, because it could uh, being someone else for someone else because it can mess you up like emotionally. But the execution just like isn't there. And when magical realism is done right, it could be great. You know, like uh, Liar Liar is one of my favorite comedies. And mm-hmm. Groundhog's Day is hysterical, and I loved Birdman when it first came out. Um, but in those movies, like the main character has like some sort of personal growth, and that just doesn't happen here. Uh, Alison Brie's character isn't asked to do much. She's one note. She's a good girl who isn't good, but is still pretty good. And it like it's just kind of easy for her. It doesn't really do anything for me. Again, I think it's improperly rated at seven <laughs> because when movies like this don't work, everyone just goes. Oh, lol, so dumb. There's a hole in the floor. LOL, what's going on? And like, they can't think further than that. But there's a good idea here. It just didn't work. I'll definitely never watch it again. Uh, But I think a fair (laughs) ranking would be in like the mid 30s. So, like, five times better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a seven is like one of the worst movies of all time. And it just wasn't that. It just didn't really work. I was waiting for you to be like, I'm not going to give it a seven, but like a nine or a 10, you know, <laughs> no, like at no. least a couple points. No, like there's some, you know, you can tell there's an idea of a movie there, but dude, the execution is just like flatlined. Do you think it was the acting or do you think it was the writing? I think it was the writing. I think the guy had the idea. And then instead of diving deeper into the characters, he was just like, see, you guys get it. Right. And it's like, dude, you don't, you're, you know, you're supposed to make Allison Brie either like a huge piece of shit who is faking being good or someone who's pretty good who realizes they were doing something as a huge piece of shit. And instead, it's just like, man, nothing really happens. But um, the end. Thanks for suffering through that one for us, James. 
Yeah, so, it sucks. It could have been something good. It's just not. Somebody's got to do it every episode. Lowest critic. And it was you this time. Mm-hmm. Usually, yeah. usually me. Well, you're going to get and the next, a period piece. You're, you're next, Warren. <laughs> You'll get the lowest critic score on the next one. I'm already back. Yep. It happens <laughs> quick. You go from highest to lowest. That's usually how it goes. Okay, so she's got a few other roles before we get to Critic Gap. Um, she's in 2016's Joshi. She plays a character named Rachel. It's another Thomas Middledish movie. She, I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but she barely makes it out of the credits. Um, she plays his girlfriend, and she commits suicide literally as the opening credits end. Oof, and that sounds the, hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> the, rest, the rest of the movie is kind of funny, but that part, not so much. So there's not much to mention there, but uh, it, interesting to note that she's in it for about three minutes uh, and is just an afterthought. A couple other movies she's in in 2016. She's in How to Be Single and Get a Job. Get a Job, we see a little bit of a crossover with Brian Cranston, who we covered last episode. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she was in a movie called... We've got the second movie of hers that has multiple titles. So this one, the original title was A Family Man, and then it was changed to The Headhunter's Calling. She plays a character named Lynn. Essentially, she is Gerard Butler's counterpart who are competing uh, for Willem Dafoe's like, chair role on, in this headhunting company. Her role really demanded someone who's like a like a Jessica Chastain character who's kind of just going to like eat Gerard Butler alive in this competition for this role. And she's just too nice for it. But she does have one funny quote where she tells Gerard Butler over the phone to look at his desk and she puts a bottle of lube and Vaseline in his in his drawer. And she says, you're going to need that because I'm going to absolutely destroy you. I'm going to destroy your ass in November. And I was like, okay, that's the closest thing we're going to get to her being like a Chastain, but it just wasn't a great cast on her part. It was different. She tried something new, uh, but the movie's pretty bad, and uh, she's just not a great fit, unfortunately. And then in 2017, uh, we run into her largest critic gap, and that is Little Hours, and I'm covering this one this week. I don't know about you guys, when the first trailer came out for this, I was hooked at the poll quote that they had on the in the trailer that said, um, this movie is trash, pure trash, and it was from the Catholic Church. <laughs> I was like, I'm in. Well, Kyle, you're like the target audience oh, for that. Man, they knew me. I, I must have done a focus group at some point. Um, <laughs> it was so I was I was hooked from the start on this movie. Um, a bunch of like troublesome nuns um, who are getting in so, all sorts of hijinks, like right up my alley. I'm I'm down with it. Um, in terms of the gap, critics gave this a 78. Audiences only gave it a 49, which is interesting for being a comedy yeah. with some pretty big names and i think it goes into people had really high expectations and for a lot of folks it probably didn't meet that but the things i didn't know is i was doing my research this movie is based on a short story from the 14th century uh that was and it was adapted into a uh, a movie based on the decameron from 1971 i didn't know that i just thought it was you know somebody made up a screenplay but there was there was a a real short story that was written centuries ago that was the basis for this I also didn't know the entire movie uh, is pretty much improvised from start to finish. There was an 18-page outline given to the cast and crew, but pretty much everything that you see from all of these actors, including, you know, Dave Franco plays the main character, Allison Brie, Audrey Plaza, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Fred Armisen, Kate Micucci, Nick Offerman, Lauren Weedman. I mean, awesome comedic cast, and it was almost completely improvised. Basic gist. Franco plays a servant in the Middle Ages who, 
you know, sleeps with his master's wife. The master's played by Nick Offerman. The, the wife is Lauren Weedman. Um, and he essentially flees for his own safety. And he runs into John C. Riley, who is um, the, the priest who is trying to sell some fabrics, gets drunk on the wine, on the sacrament, and loses all of his fabrics. And so he takes Franco in because he helps him. And Franco pretends to be a deaf mute. So that because um, anybody who helps around the property, if they talk to the nuns, the nuns hate it and they scream at them and throw turnips at them and tell them to fuck off. Uncomfortably scream at him. Yeah. You, yeah, a, dude, they shit. roast the you until this? you leave. Yeah, it's so you fucking creepy piece of shit. <laughs> like just unprovoked anger. So he plays a deaf mute. And um, it's him trying not to talk while uh, slowly all of the nuns start to come on to him and want to have sexual relations with him because they're all, a um, couple of them are witches. Uh, one, you know, Alison Bree's character, her father donates um, to the convent, but she really doesn't want to be there. She wants to just go live a normal life and have babies and have a husband and all that. Um, you know, it, it's... I'd be interested in your guys' thoughts on whether you think it's funny or not. I, I think there's some there's some good moments in the movie, especially when Franco is giving his confession to John C. Riley and is talking about um, sodomy uh, with Lauren Weedman. And he's like, she then she put her mouth on my sex. And then <laughs> I, I, I had my mouth on her sex while she had her mouth on my sex. And he's like, why, why would you do that? He, he's like, because she liked it. He's like, oh, okay, all right. So talk about 69ing. And then, then he's like, well he, well, he says that's sodomy. And he goes, I thought sodomy is when you do it in the rear. He's like, no, that's that's also sodomy. Uh, <laughs> that whole scene really gets me, but I don't know if there's anything that stands out to you guys. Bro, I love the movie. I saw it in theaters, and then I watched it with my in-laws. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I love Fred Armisen when he comes there and he's reading back what they've done wrong. And he's just like, do you hear the words I'm saying? He's like, you're eating blood. It's like, you're a nun. You're eating blood. I don't even know how to punish you for that. He's like, you need to skip a meal for, you need to skip breakfast. He's like, I can't make you not eat because then you'll starve to death. He's like, you're not allowed to eat lunch for a year. He's like, that's your punishment. There you go. (laughs) I also love, uh, Nick Offerman when he is just obsessed with this conspiracy theory that uh, an evil man from a made up country is trying to (laughs) steal his kingdom and bang his wife. And it's just all he's obsessed over. And his wife at dinner is like, can you just talk about something that's not the guy from Karth? He's like, and then I saw his heart rip out of his chest all day. That's all he talks about is this guy from Karth. It's unbearable. Well, at the end of the movie, he when he's talking to Franco, he's like, "Yeah, she was hiding her golf artistry, like the <laughs> whole like, time. She's she's related to these people. Yeah, she was related to him the whole time. We all knew that. <laughs> yeah, I need to rewatch it. Um, I did watch it maybe, maybe at the beginning of like quarantine, and uh, like there were some laughs and everything in it. Uh, but I just remember being absolutely blown away by the like the red band trailer, and I was like. I was a lot more excited for that. And it was just like the, just the shock value of that I think was hilarious. And so I came in with higher expectations, but you know, listen to James, like the stuff that he's talking about is definitely stuff that I would go back and really enjoy on another watch is like paying more attention to like the dumb conversations that they're having. Yeah. It's super stupid. So that's, that's exactly what I need to do. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I think she's pretty good in the role. I wonder how much of it is actual acting because she spends most of her scenes with Franco, her husband. So they're getting intimate and you're like, yeah, this is probably just what's normal for them. And she's one of the few like non-funny characters in the movie. So for someone who plays a lot in a lot of comedies and is very comedic, she screams at the the other guy a few times. But for the most part, she's supposed to be desperate mm-hmm. and is supposed to convey like how terrible it is to not be living a normal life. I think she's fine in it. Um, she's certainly not bad, and uh, but doesn't steal the show. I think part of the reason people didn't love it is the final scene is very sentimental between John C. Riley and Molly Shannon. And it's just a very different tone than the rest of the movie was on. I get why people why why people wouldn't like that. I feel like normally when the ratings are like this and in a movie like this, it's the opposite. Yeah, I feel like normally critics hate a movie like this and the fans love it. So it's weird that it's flipped. I think it's just like the the people who are in it. it like it's this group of people who are in like all these movies together. Like I'm surprised is Middle Ditch in this. <laughs> Like I, I wouldn't have been surprised if no, he was no, he's but not. it's like Adam Adam Pally's in it, you know, even briefly and you yep. know mm-hmm. that that whole group. So I think it's just the people who rated this on Rotten Tomatoes, they know what this movie's gonna be, so they go in and they watch it because they know exactly what they're getting. And then I think people stumble across it on Netflix and they're like, Fuck me. Like <laughs> they weren't they weren't ready for it. <laughs> Agree, Warren. The the Red Band trailer with the the song that would use like "Gling Ling, bitch, all I wanna." Do. Like, I yeah. remember that song pretty vividly coming from that trailer, and I was like, "Holy fuck, this movie's gonna be amazing!" Yeah, that's the little hours, and that's the largest critic app. Before we hit highest critic score, we've got one appearance she made uh, on Doctor Ken, the show in 2017, and then um, one of our one of our favors craig and i um highest critic score was the disaster artist uh-huh. in 2017 and uh warren yeah has this one. so disaster artist has just kind of really taken a life of its own in the past couple of years i actually watched this the the original so the disaster the room is a movie written produced directed by tommy wiseau who who the fuck really knows who this guy is <laughs> It you is, know nothing about it is, a, it, it is a bananas <laughs> movie, like absolute one of the worst movies, but it is hilariously bad. Yes. Greg Sestero, who is one of the actors in the room, wrote a book. I don't remember how many years ago he wrote the book, but the whole thing is talking about just kind of the the legend that the the production of this movie, you know, became. You know, the the movie made nothing money wise but it costs like eight million dollars to make because they filmed it in you know hd and film and they they built sets when they had (laughs) sets and they they did like all this ridiculous stuff because if you were to hand you know go up to an elementary school kid and say you're you're directing a movie go you'd probably get a more successful thing. So the disaster artist, James Franco directed and took the book and made a movie about the book, about the movie. Very meta. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a, like I watched it when it first came out. I went and saw it in theaters and I had just got done at least listening to the audiobook read by Greg Sestero 
like I, I was like, yeah, there's definitely some funny stuff in here because I just got done watching uh, the room as well, and I think maybe I was just burnt out on on the room, which is definitely possible. I got a group of friends who were like, every time they came over, I was like, hey, you guys want to watch the room? And we would make it. We would make it like yes. thirty minutes in, and they were like, "Fuck you, dude! We're not coming over anymore." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's only so certain bad. friends enjoy it. So the whole thing is just talking about the creation of this movie and it's got an awesome cast of people playing like real life characters in the movie. You know, James Franco, Dave Franco, Seth Rogen is uh, like script supervisor. Allison Brie plays Greg's girlfriend. I don't, I'm not really sure if she was a, a, a fictional character. I assume she was just to kind of drive a wedge in between James and Dave. Yes, she, she was. Zach Efron was probably the funniest character in the whole movie. Chris R. Yes. Josh <laughs> Hutcherson was hilarious. I mean, Jason Manzoukas, they bring back everybody. You know, even their like introduction when they have it set up. You have Chris and Bell, Ike Barinholtz, Adam Scott, Kevin Smith, King Michael Key, Lizzie Kaplan, Danny McBride, Zach Braff. J.J. Abrams, they all talk about like what this movie has done for them. And so it is just this larger-than-life story. If you haven't seen The Room, I actually would... I, I don't think... I think it would actually be funnier to probably watch this and just be like, no way, that is an actual fucking movie, and then go watch The Room. Yeah. yeah. Once you see the ending scenes when they're showing the side-by-side between them reenacting it, unreal like that is some of the funniest like straight up funniest stuff yeah and uh so allison brie in this she was in it because dave was in it you know she she is a very leveling character she is the absolute voice of reason she's the one who introduces him uh dave franco greg to brian cranston Mm -hmm. And, and so she is a very normal level-headed person she's very necessary for the story because from her you realize just how stupid every other fucking person in this movie is uh, like J- like dave <laughs> greg sestero and tommy that's really like where i want to leave it go watch it but like i think through this whole thing like you watch the movie you you hear the story and you're like wow tommy is like He's the, like, I don't, I don't, you don't even want to say bad guy, but he's, like, the most messed up in the head. I absolutely disagree. I think Greg Sestero is the most fucked up person in the head. <laughs> yep. Because he's, he's, he's the one who is, he is he's an completely enabler. using him. He is an enabler. I agree with you, Warren. Yeah. He's just like, oh, man, I can absolutely attach my, my, you know, hitch my wagon to this guy because he's got fucking money and he's too stupid to do anything else. The fact that he didn't go to the Malcolm in the Middle thing, like, that's his fucking fault. It's, it, yeah, it, it's just so. Yeah, what are you doing? Greg, Greg is the issue, and whether or not at the, at the end of this whole thing, like, when Tommy was like, I, I bombed, like, I'm a failure. If Greg really did go to him and was like, hey, man, like, let's make the best of this and do that, you know, that's a little bit of redemption. But if that, if he didn't actually do that and say, like, look at you, like, you, you made them laugh, he's, up there on big pieces of shit in the world. <laughs> it felt like he was like taking advantage of something. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent was dealing with mental illness. <laughs> like you, yeah. it's like it's a rich guy who's clearly not all. The- yeah, let's get my career off the right. ground. Here. Yeah, let's use his money. Right? And he never, de- he never defends Tommy. I, I, I agree with you one hundred percent, Warren. I've always thought that. 
Craig and I have like a weird legend behind this movie. When we were both in Texas, it was probably, it was either 2012 or 2013. Craig one day texts me and goes, hey man, my friends told me about this movie called The Room. I got it. You got to come over and watch it. It's supposed to be the worst movie ever. And Craig, you remember my initial response? <laughs> I don't. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm good. Like, I got better ways to spend my time as a grad student. Like, whatever. And he's like, no, no, dude, you got to come over. Thank goodness I did. Came over there, fucking blown away at this movie. For years after that, after I finished grad school, you know, I'm off in different places. That's like the one reason Case and I would stay in touch was about the room. We had heard that Disaster Artist was written, and Craig had gotten it on audiobook, and he was telling me all about it. And then we heard through the grapevine they were going to make this movie, and I remember sending him the uh like the list of actors that were going to be in and like 25 big name people like holy shit this is going to be it's going to blow us all away i finally went to a couple live shows of it i don't think craig's actually seen it yet i tried to get him to go to dallas the one time to go see it live and then i finally met tommy wiseau last year and and one of my profile pictures is still me and tommy there so like i fucking love the legend of tommy wiseau in the room and so the disaster artist is just a really cool movie very fun and it's it's kind of a connecting thread for craig and i and our our friendship it's like right up my alley being in a a, a cult film like show that mm-hmm. the room i mean the room is one of the ultimate new cult classics like mm-hmm. it's on that it's already on that level of like rocky horror picture show yeah because people go to the live shows and they have call outs and they dress up they throw footballs so to have this movie as like a supplement, this is a movie that I can actually watch like over and over and over. I've only actually seen it twice, but I, you guys were talking about like an uncomfortable moment to watch in the movie. I don't like find any of that because I know what ultimately came out of this whole thing is the room. Right. And so like, it's our goal to actually do an episode on the room for our show. And I really want to get Greg Sestero, but you know, Ooh. I'll settle. I'll settle for some other actors that were in it if if I can't get Craig <laughs> or Denny. <laughs> yeah, go get Chris R, bro. All we have to do is have footballs, and people are going to watch it. But <laughs> and that's a disaster artist. So to round out her career between 2017 and today, she was in the Post in 2017. She played a character named Lolly Graham. That's a major role for her to be in a Spielberg movie with all those heavyweights. But she's playing Meryl Streep's daughter, and so she does have some some really important screen time with Streep to help establish some of the movie premises. So that's, that's a big role. Definitely an Oscar Beatty type of movie, so a big one for her. Yep. Then uh, a huge show for her career. She was in Glow as Ruth Wilder from 2017 to 2019. I think they just announced, Dane, right, that they're uh, they're not greenlighting season four? Yeah, they had greenlit it, and then now their excuse is... And this is just Netflix wanting to cancel all of their shows that everybody loves. Now they're using the the excuse of coronavirus. Dude, a production is done. Bullshit. People can't wrestle each other because it's dangerous. I watched this show only for this podcast, and I fell in love, man. This show rocks. Uh, yeah, show's great. And when I found out it was canceled, I was like, fuck, that means I'm going to get to the end of this show and be satisfied with the ending. I watched two seasons with uh, my wife. Just crushed it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sad that they're not going to be able to close it out how they wanted to. I mean, it had been greenlit. I'm sure I believe they were ready to shoot. So scripts have been written. It's just really unfortunate that we're not going to get to see how they wanted it to end because uh, her character arc is incredible. She she starts Mm -hmm. out and I can't believe that she can make herself like seem so pathetic 
as Ruth is at the beginning of this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's talent. That's talent. It like sucks you in, and that you're like, damn, this chick's life sucks. And then the pilot episode, all of a sudden, you learn that like, oh, and she made some really shitty decisions. And what I like about it is it's realistic in how you know, even though it's silly and stupid and funny, it's realistic in how decisions like impact someone's life. Like her best friend hates her two years later for the, you know, the shit that she does to her. And we're like, yeah, that would probably be accurate. Like, no, we are not friends anymore. I don't know. It's like a, one of those shows that is funny, has great, like witty banter and then pulls at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And definitely a women's empowerment show too, to kind of highlight something that was kind of below the radar in the eighties, which was a, a really cool thing. Gorgeous ladies of wrestling. I was reading online that she wanted, role of Ruth so badly that and she was actually turned down for three times and they actually finally gave it to her she said she cried after each one because she wanted it so bad your story reminds me of I think it's like the very first scene of Glow she's she does this like she's reading for a part because she's an actress her character's an actress and she's reading for a part so meta and she gives this amazing monologue and then like the casting director's like no, yours is the this part, and it was just like some secretary. And it was yeah. just some secretary that had like one, like here's your papers. Yeah, it's like your wife's online too. <laughs> Good job, though. I was yeah, like, great. I'm, I'm gonna like this show. I'm gonna like this show, and I did. And screw you, yeah. Netflix. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, Mark Maron's acting style works really yeah. well for that character. Oh, yeah. too. He's like such like a yep. depressing. Yeah, he's kind of playing himself. Crotchety, yeah, depressed guy. He's playing himself yeah. where like he's funny, but he knows he's like dipshit and doesn't care. A little bit slimy and uh, Marin can definitely pull that one yeah, off. Yeah, and she's amazing. She's like adorable and funny and you're rooting for her, but she is like, Ruth is like kind of a loser and like, I just want this chick to win one time. Just once pull this off. And she got in pretty good shape for that, which is funny because at the same time, when she started the show, Franco was doing six balloons and so lost like 20 to 30 pounds because he was playing a heroin act- addict. And he talked about how he was like scared of her at the house because he was always angry because he wasn't eating and he was tiny and she was getting jacked out of her mind. And he's a small dude already. And so he's talking about like he would like uh, he's like walking on eggshells at home because he didn't want to aggravate her because he was worried she was going to beat him up. <laughs> yeah, I was reading that when she was training with uh, one of the Guerrero brothers, like she was able to to you know squat like two times her body weight which is insane for some and she's like yeah but you know i didn't look any bigger so it was cool she's like i've never really been athletic in my life so that's when i decided i'm just gonna do my own stunts this is fun hell yeah to kind of round this out she was in uh weathering with you in 2019 she uh played character natsumi in the english dub version of that that particular project um, we've talked about it a few times with other actors that we've covered right on par she did uh drunk history in 2019 and uh the the lego movie part two also in 2019 in terms of stuff that's come out in 2020 or should hit pretty soon she's in promising young woman which debuted at sundance we should have had it by now we haven't yet and who knows when it'll hit i assume it'll hit before the oscars this year because it's going to be a, a big awards contender for carrie mulligan and best lead actress um, but she plays a character named madison who is uh, how to describe it without giving anything away she plays one of her ex college roommates who uh, Carrie Mulligan's character does not have the best relationship with now and Brie plays a little bit of an asshole it's probably the best way to describe it but that movie is going to be 
awesome. Can't wait for y'all to see it when it comes out. I'm pumped. I'm pissed. Really cool. Yeah, I'm concept. pissed. It's not out yet. The similar to uh, the little hours. I saw the preview and I was like, couldn't be more. in. when do I get to watch this movie? Last I saw, probably January ish. So we'll see. Um, eventually. And then in 2020, another film that was at Sundance, um, and this is one of her biggest lead roles. I mean, this movie is all Alison Brie, and that's her character, Sarah, in Horse Girl, mm-hmm. which she co-wrote with Jeff Baina, who was the director of The Little Hours. What a performance in that. Scene. Okay, I'm, I'm glad someone besides me saw this movie, because I would love to talk about it. Yep, it's awesome. It's the first time, you know, the first time I saw that movie, I thought it was good, and then I rewatched it for this pod, and I was able to confirm that it is as good as I thought, not just very clever storytelling. I've never seen a movie portray mental illness like this before. And Alison Brie is fully committed to playing like a paranoid schizophrenic. I think she crushes the role. Yeah. I love how they show it from her pers- They show the movie from her perspective. So like, you know, she's slowly losing her mind, but like from her perspective, you see that it's, you know, this alien abduction conspiracy but then when she interacts with like other people, the tone of the movie shifts completely and you immediately see like how uncomfortable everyone is around her and it's not from her perspective anymore and everyone knows she's mentally ill and they don't want to engage with her. The stolen car scene is really when it pivots right. in the movie. Like the guy at the impound, he's like, I don't think it's stolen. Yeah, and like <laughs> there's scenes where all of a sudden you're like, oh, what's going on? And she just like wakes up and she's at a payphone in her pjs and you think to yourself well if that was me i also would think i was losing my fucking mind <laughs> you know like the interactions with me and the guy she goes on dates with you just see how everyone is around her it like fully goes insanity in the fact which i guess is the only place it could have gone with that story but i thought she was amazing in it yep some really good lead work on her part um which i think will be a sign of some other stuff we'll see from her here in the next couple of years, too. saw some interviews with her, and she said that a lot of that character was based on stories that her parents told her when she was a kid about her actual grandmother, who suffered from schizophrenia. Oh. And so there was a lot of personal connection to that role based on what she knew. Yeah, so it, made, it sounded like the way you guys are talking, that interview makes a whole lot more sense now. You could see it. It certainly stretched her range as an actor and we're going to get into rating here pretty soon, but without that, I think it, you know, as soon as you see that movie and see that performance, it, it takes her up a couple notches from a scoring standpoint. Cause you get to see some of, some of her chops that you don't see in other roles before that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, she was in the rental, which is Dave Franco's directorial debut. And she plays a character named Michelle. If you haven't seen the rental yet, I'd recommend watching it. It's, it's a really good watch. And I was disappointed at the scores. It's not the best horror thriller movie I've ever seen, but it, it is certainly has some originality and, and I thought it was really well acted. And Dave Franco did a really good job as his directorial debut. Yeah, I saw the trailer. It seemed interesting. Yeah, it was worth the watch. We don't have Rigby and he would normally do this part, but Dane graciously stepped in to uh, do some top performances for Alison Bree. So what do you got for us, Dan? I've got a list provided by screenrant.com. That's probably the most legit Jit website that's we've used so far. <laughs> that and Gold Derby. I was going to ask if you guys ever use them. Have you ever used that one? Yeah. I read Screen Rant from time to time. We've never used it on the pod. I meant for your list specifically. So anyway, I got to give the author credit for this. Philip Etamisi. Etamisi? Who cares? But uh, <laughs> What's up, Phil? It's but Philippe. <laughs> it's a list. It's 10. And it's time to guess. When was the list made? 
Is it pretty recent? It's uh, from 2020. Annie Edison. Annie Edison is in there. That is number five. Ruth Wilder. Glove. Number one. Has to be, yeah. yeah. Ooh. Horse girl. Number two. Dang. Ooh. We're doing well. Sluts. Hot sluts. <laughs> 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 number three. What about, what about hot sluts? <laughs> no, no. It wasn't even what about it. He goes, sluts. sluts. <laughs> you, sound like, you sound like Beavis from Beavis. Head to America. Sluts. Sleeping with other people. Number eight. Laney. Ooh. Uh, the post. Eh. Nope. Oh, damn it. Fuck you, Kyle. You ruined it. <laughs> I son of a bitch. I didn't ruin your streak, though. You're still hot. The little hours. Yeah, I'm pretty hot. You're on fire. You guys have five more to go. You sit. Five? No, 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 no. What? Who? Somebody said. Nothing. Somebody James, said. James somebody said, said little, little hours. hours, and that's yeah. number six. And, How about uh, the rental? James. Nope. Give me Scream 4. No. Number 10. Wow. So what's left? Three, three are left. Bojack Horseman. Yeah, Bojack. Correct. Definitely. Number four. Lego Movie. Nope. Ooh, that was a good oh. guess, Kyle. I'll give you that one. That was a good guess. Unikid, you didn't make it. That's sad. Vincent, adult man. Um, Warren, what do you got? You're on fire right now. Come on. I know it's getting tight here. Man, I'm probably just going to repeat something somebody else said. Um, I know for a fact that Case has seen one of these movies because he sure reviewed it. <laughs> oh, save the date. <laughs> uh, uh, I think he reviewed it for somebody else, though. Oh, get hard. Oh, get there hard. You go. That's number seven. Really? And now you got one left. I think you mentioned this movie in passing. 2016 is the year. It's How to Be Single. Yep. Oh. That was it. Number eight. It's a good movie. I liked How to Be Single. Yeah. We got the top three right. That's a good list. Yeah. What were the top three again? It was Glow, Mad Men, and I closed the list, you guys. Community? So <laughs> and community. Horse, community. Horse so three, t- three Horse TV girl, shows. I'm sorry. What's All right, well, I'll take that. Too. Oh, Horse Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. As long as there was a movie in the top three, that's what I was hoping for. I closed the list, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the list is yeah, memorized. You the list is life. <laughs> yeah, you did say that earlier. It's, it's dead now. All right, so we're going to get into the Munson meter. Uh, if you're a first time listener, the way this works, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a number of factors. And our own personal subjective uh, approach to that. So we look at their longevity as an actor. We examine project choice. We look at their pop culture impact, their range as an actor, their awards footprint, their talents that they might have off the screen, what their personal life is like, their comedic chops, and also what their box office imprint looks like. So with all that, Warren. For like a background, Allison's... You know, upbringing and everything seems about as generic as you could possibly get. Like, I grew up in South LA. Now I'm in movies. So, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. in South California, LA. Now, I don't know if, where she was in LA geographically. That's, you know, not the point. But it seems like her, her path there was, you know, pretty easy. But to like stay in it, how she has, especially in comedy, female in comedy. And she's not like slapstick humor. You know, she, she does kind of show a different, different range within comedy. And she's got the, the rom-com side. She's got the late night comedy side. The, the whole band thing was pretty interesting. I thought that was funny that, you know, that's an additional talent as well. Uh, but then you got the bangers like, uh, you know, Mad Men and, you know, not an absolute huge role, but still like one of the more, a stalwart of a show that's going to be around like forever. Um, 
she'll, she'll always have that, you know, community will still be around as well. Movie wise, like I don't really love, you know, her movies are funny as hell and I do enjoy that, but I wouldn't consider many of them like that great. Like I didn't watch horse girl. Unfortunately, you know, that is showing the, the best promise for something other than what she's done. Um, so I can't really take that into account too much. Uh, but I'm like, I I do enjoy everything she's in. I, I, I will see just about anything that she is in, uh, because I know I'm going to get a laugh out of it. And, uh, so I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her a 68. All right. James. Uh, this might be the first time that I ever gave a score lower than Warren. I'll have to have stat boy check that for me, but, uh, (laughs) that's shocking. So after watching community and glow, I absolutely love Alison Brie. I think the issue here is her bread and butter is definitely playing like the innocent goody two shoes that has good comedic wit and uh, can also go to the drama side of it, which is why I think she was in getting casted in Mad Men, Bojack, and Community. But her characters in those shows developed and showed you know her comedic and dramatic acting chops. I think if she continues to take those take risks. I think she's going to be a bona fide movie star. Um, it's just unfortunate that it's not quite yet. She was amazing in Glow, and I'm truly upset that it got canceled for bullshit reasons. I would love to hear the actual reason why Netflix wanted to cancel that show. I'm going to give her a 57, but I guarantee that's going to skyrocket if she continues the path. So, James, you've you've given scored below me in, on Chris Pratt, Chris O'Dowd, and... JGO. So basically, you don't know what you're talking about, sir. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> and he's not a doctor either. That's all I know. Not a medical well, doctor. The thing with Chris Pratt is uh, I hate him off the screen, and so that really tanked his score. It's true. It's the worst of the Chris's. Sure. All right, Case. I really enjoy her work and, and the way that she plays roles. I think she has a very natural warmth and, and lightheartedness that makes her really easy to be in comedies. However, I think. Her strength lies in TV shows where she has a lot of screen time that gives us a chance to really fall in love with her characters. Problem with this is our podcast, we deal primarily with movies. I have what might be an unpopular opinion. I would love to see her doing more serious leading roles. I really, for some reason, think she is going to be a great dramatic actor and Unlike most people that start in dramas, they have a hard time doing comedy. So somebody with a comedic background who I think has a potential to do really serious roles, I think she has a lot of, um, I think she has a lot of room to do really serious roles in the future. And very similar to Lizzie Kaplan. I think the two of them have very similar styles and skills and, and could have pretty similar careers. However, comparing her to other characters on our list, I have to take into consideration the lack of movie longevity. And awards. Those two really hurt her. Uh, however, moving forward, I'm definitely going to be a big fan of her, and I can't wait to watch some of the things that she does down the road. And then finally, uh, I'm going to give her the Rigby bump from a man who isn't here tonight, so that way she doesn't get as low of a score as I think we're on track <laughs> to give her. That being said, with the Rigby bump, I'm giving her a 77. Fair score. Fair score. Thank fair you. Score. I think that's a fair score. Fair Super score. fucking fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dane, how fair can you keep it? You're Case, I don't think your opinion is unpopular at all Agreed. regarding her dramatic prowess. She's just now starting to get into that, which is showing her evolution as an actress. 
Um, I think it started with Glow. Yeah. True Glow is a comedy, but there's so much drama in that show. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like set the table for what she could be. And we're seeing that play out in movies like Horse Girl. And I think that that's going to continue. So probably the biggest strike against her right now is that she was selected by the Munsons perhaps like two or three years too early to get an awesome score. Fully agree. Retweet that. Yeah. She's also been mostly television, but now I can see her starting to get those movie roles that are bigger. Heck, she can even write movies. That's pretty awesome. As she co-wrote Horse Girl. It's not Munson's at the TV set, which is unfortunate because I have thoroughly enjoyed three of her shows that I've seen the entire run for. And I think she's been amazing in all of them. She's shown a lot of range. Um, Her personal life, I think she's pretty liberal, which there's bonus points there. Yes. Being married to Dave Franco. Hey, that's pretty cool. Being a couple dinks with him. uh, Dual income, no kids. Love it. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give her a 79 because uh, I think the 50, 60 stuff is just uh, a little bit, uh, horse shit, not horse girl, but horse shit. So, <laughs> horse, horse. Men. So let's pull that score up a little bit. Seventy nine. All right, I'll round us out. I think she gives some great interviews. I can tell, having watched interviews for every actor we cover, you could tell who gets upset and angry and who rolls with the punches. She's super open, super fun. Yeah. Doesn't really get pissy with with interviewers. And seems to embrace even the most awkward questions. I was watching her takes like really misogynistic questions when she was doing uh, like these TV talk shows in the early two thousand, like mid two thousands, where they were clearly objectifying her, and she just l- would roll right through it and get to a real answer. Um, so I thought I thought that was pretty impressive, and it, it shows that she's a pretty genuine, down to earth human. I like that she's doing less rom coms at this point in her career. Right, she the last big rom com she did was sleeping with other people, or I guess you could say how to be single um, was probably the last one, and she's really pivoted to doing more dramatic stuff. So I, I like where the direction her career is going in, and she's just got a great skill set off the screen. I mean, in a band, she can rap, she's done theater work, she can write. I mean, all that's going to get her big points. Much like Case, she's going to lose points for me for lack of awards recognition. Um, and just some of the longevity side. So I'm actually going to, for the first time ever, going to give the same score as Warren, and I'm going to give her a 68. Warren, what does that bring us in terms of an average? That gives Allison Brie a 69.8, which puts her at 13th, and she is in between Danny Trejo and Alicia Vikander. So fair. Right in your sweet spot, Danny. So fair. (laughs) (laughs) That's 69. She should have an Emmy, by the way. There seems to be a theme. I agree. For glow. Warren, what does she got coming? Uh, so I know there's a lot of expectations of like big things coming up. She does, according to IMDb, doesn't have anything like in production. She's got a movie that has completed filming called Happiest Season. It's got a good good cast: uh, Allison Brie, Mackenzie Davis, Kristen Stewart, Dan Levy, and Aubrey Plaza. So we'll we'll see what that uh what that turns into. It looks funny. She was probably banking on season four. I think it hits Netflix in like two weeks. Hulu. Hulu. Is it Hulu? Yeah. It seemed like an interesting story. Mackenzie Davis is... It looks funny. A hidden yeah. lesbian who goes, takes Kristen Stewart home for, what, Christmas? And has to hide that they're both lesbians. And Allison Brie plays her competitive sister, I think. I'm in. That sounds like a good story. Yeah, it should, should be good. Dan Levy's yeah. the best friend of Kristen Stewart, I believe, so... 
So we've got five actors we're throwing onto the wheel for the next episode. So episode 24. Those five are uh, Tracy Morgan, which we laughed about um, last episode because we had mentioned him so many times uh, in our episode. I think our, what was it, our Treo episode or Cranston episode? Um, but he's the only guy in this list because we've got Robin Wright, Diane Kruger, Salma Hayek, and Christina Applegate. But of those five, what are thoughts? Not Diane Kruger. Well, since since it's not TV shows at the Munson's at the TV shows, probably not Tracy Morgan. Who said yeah. not Diane Kruger? Uh, that would be me. She was in the two most consequential films of the 2000s. Okay. <laughs> National no. Treasure and Inglorious and Glorious Bastards. <laughs> and Natty Treasure 2. That's hilarious. Okay, so those are two good movies. I will not deny that. Uh, it's I'm called go, Book of Secrets. I'm going Rob, no, Robin Wright and Christina Applegate. You're down with those two or you wouldn't want to do those No, two? I'd want to. Oh, Anchorman and Don't Tell Mom yeah. the Babysitter's Dead? Come on. That's true. And, uh, Robin Wright's the, probably the, the one new, I know the least about. The new about. vacation movie. Oh, dude, you know more about Robin Wright than you know. Probably. Yeah. I she's, just she's in every Jenny. Yeah, she was the worst human yeah. on earth in Forrest Gump. I love you, Jenny. Jenny and, For- yeah, Jenny and Forrest Gump. She was Princess Buttercup and Princess Bride. You do Salma Hayek again so I can yeah. watch the dance scene in, from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> Rem- remind yourself that you're straight. Yep. Lord. Even if I wasn't, that would turn me. <laughs> In honor of Rigby, if we did Robin Wright, we'd get to watch The Pledge. I know he loves that movie. That is true. Well, um, all I know is I really would want to cover Margot Martindale, but she is not part of the list. <laughs> so we'll just have to run with it. Um, she's amazing in Blow the Man Down, if you haven't seen that yet. Look at him still trying to defend that, like, a month or two later. <laughs> well, luckily I don't make these decisions that Will does in a... We'll, we'll find out. We'll, we'll decide. <laughs> All right. That brings us to the end of episode 23. Uh, Dane, do you have any CF3 plugs you want to drop to our audience of what they should expect from y'all? I know we just had Dames on. He gave us a little bit of an update. Anything new on that front? So, yeah, he probably he told you that we're switching over to a YouTube talk series. So no more, just audio podcast. Mm-hmm. Had a production meeting. Um, I'm actually, uh, I've been in contact with a guest. So we're going to record with somebody for the first time in like five months. And uh, it's for an episode on Howard the Duck. Nice. And so hopefully that'll be one of our first Ooh. episodes that we drop in the video format on YouTube. We're trying to get up to 100 subscribers so we can get a custom URL. That's what you have to have. Please just search us out on YouTube. Just type in CF3 Colt Films and um, subscribe to that. Help us get up to 100. Um, I've gotten uh, like 20 today, so I'm very happy. Okay. So we're getting there. I think we're like close to two thirds of the way. But um, so this guest for uh, Howard the Duck is going to be awesome. And I'm very excited. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, I love Dane? you all. Aww. I love you too, buddy. We love you we too, love buddy. Give too. my best to Rigby. Oh, welcome back. We will. Oh, we will. He'll, I'm sure he will listen to this. He'll he'll have to. He'll probably be part of the editing. Yes, of this he, he will have to listen to it. So <laughs> make him do all the work. Um, <laughs> we will. Well, Dane, we. Uh, we uh, we love CF3 and we enjoy having you here. And all right, so our next podcast is going to land December third. Our featured guest is uh, a guy by the name of Jeff Swatkins. Goes by Swatty. Uh, he's one of my chapter brothers from back in the day and a big movie fan, big old movie Munson. And uh, we'll be here to just talk through the actor we're going to cover. Good people, and uh, we we like to have good guests. So outside of that, you can always catch us on uh, Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, monsonsatthemovies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munsons? 
Couldn't you just pretend? All I wanted was for you to be discreet. There's no way for me to escape, to not be an object of pity while you get to do whatever you feel like. I'm drawing a 50-mile radius around this house, and if you so much as open your fly to urinate, I will destroy you. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?